here with part two of QC Uncut with Billy Piper from Lynn Allen. Our, uh, our recorder, actually, the memory was full on the recorder, and so it got cut off. And uh, we were right in the midst of a conversation talking about the ups and downs of fame and local fame and what have you. And um, you were talking about, you know, you first start off and you're on your way up, and then you're kind of on your way down, and then you get to a point where you're comfortable with where things are at. Right. So um, we did we, we did talk about the get, getting a crew, and then and then the crew one, and then downsizing the band, and ending up a three piece band, just so you can stay in the game and keep making money. Right. Um, and that's what I did for. That was my living. Is you know, I mean, that's how I earned my living. So there wasn't a, you know, there wasn't a, I quit. You know what I mean? You know, and and the truth of the matter is, if you're a musician, you're a musician. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, listen, you can talk to Terry Murphy, Tim Compton. Well, not Tim Compton, because Tim Compton was the same as me. But you can talk to almost anybody else that's ever been in the band, and, and they'll tell you to right away, right now. And I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you the truth. If, if somebody were to come to me and go, hey, let's go right, I'm going. I mean, I told those guys night after night after night, hey, no, let's go, let's go right, let's go right. You know, they want to go out and party and do this and that. And I'm like, no, I want, I, I want to go, let's go write songs, you know. But um, I, I, I think that's kind of far and few between for people that are like that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, one of my biggest pet peeves in this business is the people that say they're going to do something, they don't do it. You say, oh, we're, we got an album coming out this fall. You lying fuck. You don't. You haven't even written the song. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, why? Are you, why would you do that? Right. If you're gonna say you got an album coming out, fuck, do the work. It, it's the same in any creative field, whether it's music, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Same thing with writing. A lot of people, they like to pretend like they're they are what they are, right. but they don't actually realize. Like I remember Scott Morshauser used to say this, and he used to always quote Andy Warhol. And Warhol used to say, "Art is work," and it's true. Yeah. Like that's not what's seen is behind the scenes all the practice you put in all the work you put in on something right. and the fact that you produce something and you put something out that's what makes you an artist that's what makes you a creator right. just so, talking about it doesn't right so did we get to the um, I know this is going to sound weird for people listening but we don't, we're not exactly sure where we left off so just bear with us but we're now talking about the hard work did we talk about the t- when I was talking to Jesse and we, did t- we didn't get to Jesse yet. That got cut off, so we're going to get into this part, too. Okay, so that's a perfect segue into that, then, because I, I, yeah, would you grab, when you come back, will you get you want another one or not? Yeah, I'll have it. Yeah, we're having yeah. some drinks, too, everybody. But anyway, I was talking to Jesse and Prince. I, I'm sure Morris Day was there, but I don't think he was listening. But they, Jesse was complaining about how hard Prince worked them and how you know how how rough the rehearsals were and they were eight hours a day and this and that. And I told them both, "Fuck you," you know. Right. And I remember you were like, "What? You told Prince, fuck yeah, because fuck you guys." You know, they worked eight hours a day rehearsal. So did I. But I did it in an eight-hour in a 108-degree garage. And when they took a break, I mean, when they rehearsed, they had a, the finest of everything, the best PA, you know what I mean, air conditioned, and food brought in. When we took a break, we were looking for a can of soup or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, or, who's got eight bucks? So let's go get a frozen pizza, you know what I mean? Uh, right. So it's like, don't you guys tell me how hard you work? Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Because when you guys go to do a show, you know, when you do a show, you got everything, you get off a tour bus, you go air conditioned into the heat for a little bit, but right back in air conditioning, and then on stage where it's a little bit hot, or maybe real hot, 
for an hour and a half and then you're done. Well, I gotta do three hours in the heat the whole time. You know what I mean? The whole time. And when we're done, we gotta tear all that shit down, put the truck and ride home in a, something with no air conditioning. So don't tell me you're working hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good segue into the Jesse stories. Now, you had told me before you met Jesse Johnson. You were 18 years old, went into the Yankee Clipper in downtown Rock Island, the nefarious, infamous Yankee Clipper, and Jesse was on stage playing a Van Halen song, and you were completely blown away, and you asked him to join your band, Pilot. I was, in a, I was completely blown away. And, and I mean starstruck. I'd never seen anything like that. Every band around here uh, stood straight up when they played. Didn't communicate with the crowd. Now that Jesse's look, first of all, he looked like Hendrix. You know, I mean, looked like Hendrix, but you know, just playing like a, just crazy. I was like, what in the hell is this? This guy's awesome. So when he got off stage, I ran straight over to him and just became this little. Uh, groupie and, and like I said uh, he immediately liked me because who wouldn't right, you, know, right, you know there's somebody telling you how yeah. great you are 24 years oh you're the best thing well of course so he immediately liked me and we became friends that band broke up he called me or somebody in the band anyway joined the band um, and showed me a level uh, in our very first rehearsal showed me a level of professionalism I didn't know existed. I knew I was in something. I knew I was, was something I, that I needed to pay attention to, if that makes sense. Uh -huh. I knew this guy knows his shit. Jesse always said, when I get my shot, when I get my shot, when I'm famous. There was never a doubt in his head. Well, and for a young guy yourself, I mean, you're 18 at the time. This is late 70s. Yeah, that's got to be huge. I mean, Jesse's not a whole lot older than you at this point. He's, what, in his early 20s? Um, I'm 18. I think he was 23, okay, 24. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, probably somewhere around there. Yeah, and Prince was, like, 20, 21 years old at that point. I, yeah, who knows of those guys because they all lie. Right. Yeah, you know I mean, so I don't, I'm not sure how old Prince really was, but... Um, the, the Prince connection came through Ernie Peniston, who was working with an act called Sue Ann, who was on Warner Brothers. Um, he was singing backgrounds, and Prince was looking for a guitar player. They brought... They, I, I don't think Ernie was with them, but I know Prince came down. I think Morris Day was with them. Maybe, maybe Jerome. And they came down to Al's Lounge, home of the Weinberger, down on River Drive, and watched them play and took them away. And that's how I became friends with Prince. But I, you know, I don't ever want to give the thing like Prince and I were like best friends. It was never anything like that. So you're not like Charlie Murphy. <laughs> no. <laughs> so he, oh, he never made you pancakes, no, Billy, huh? No, but now, but now you. Did he ever make you pancakes? Did you play basketball against him? Right now you're opening up. Now you're opening up the Eddie Murphy thing uh -huh. because the same thing happened with Eddie Murphy when we record here. Look at that. that guy happened to have that on. Right. Um, we recorded. Uh, we last at you in New York City at the record plant. Well, the record plant, that was fucking Hendrix. Right. That was Alice Cooper. That was the Blues Brothers. That, you know, I mean, I can go on and on and on and on. And when we were there, uh, Aerosmith was in the studio next to us. Um, and they were, what were they doing? Oh, oh, I'll tell you who was there. John Waite. John Waite was there doing uh, Missing You. 
and upstairs was Rick James and Eddie Murphy doing I Just Want to Party All the Time. And so, since I had met Rick James through Prince previously, I I had an end to walk in and say, hey, what's up? You know, I met you here, boom, boom, boom. So, you know, I got to hang and watch some of that. That was pretty cool. So, was he like, I'm Rick James, bitch? <laughs> I know. He was all, they were doing business. I was an it, peon in the corner, shutting my mouth, just watching for a bit. Uh -huh. Yeah. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. So tell me about some of the Prince stories that you have. You're, you mentioned one before about the having the Prince trying to make a tent in a, in a living room at one point. Yeah, I, I've told the story a lot because it's really fun. It's one of my favorites, but um, that was the very first night I ever met Prince. And this is when Prince was like, this is before he was huge. This is he had been signed, but he was still and he had one hit. He had uh, "I Want to Be Your Lover," which is his first hit. Right. But then he had a couple of flop songs, which are still good songs, but they didn't chart or they didn't do as well. And so he was still kind of like a cult artist. He was getting right. he was opening for the Rolling Stones, getting booed off stage, and getting booed off stage. So he wasn't like huge back in the late seventies, early eighties. I'm pretty sure the album we're talking about there is "Dirty Mind." Yeah, it's "Dirty Mind." Their "Dirty Mind" album. I'm pretty yeah, sure. "For You" was the first album, and then "Dirty Mind" was the next album. Yeah. Um, you know, he was a, Prince was an amazing guy. I mean, you, you know, can you imagine me like 18 years old getting signed by Warner Brothers and telling them I'm producing my own shit or I'm not doing it? That's some, that's some Buddy Holly shit there. You know what I mean? You know, that's a guy like, I mean, that guy, he, he just knew it. But you want to hear about the tent? We were out at this club called The Odd. Enough of his artistic integrity, Billy. Give us some gossip. Yeah, well, anyway, we, we had a, Prince picked up this girl, and he had a girlfriend at home. And we went, and so he didn't want to, so we went back to Jesse's house, and Jesse had a girlfriend. He only had a one-bedroom place. So I helped Prince with these two wicker chairs, and we made an old-fashioned tent like you make when you're, like, seven years old. And then he got in there with that girl, and... And but it was interesting because I hate to say this, but I couldn't go anywhere. He asked me to leave, and I'm like, no, I'm not. I got nowhere to go. It's three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. He wanted to screw her, and she didn't want anything to do with it because she wanted to go out with him the next night. Now she would have done anything he wanted the next night. She wanted to be seen with Prince because at the end of the night, it was a grab her and rock out the door thing. And she wanted the next day, oh, her friends to see her with Prince because maybe Prince wasn't worldwide famous then. He was definitely famous in Minneapolis. Yeah, he'd been on American Bandstand and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that that was like the first time, one of the first times we met. So what was he, what was Prince like in person as a real a human being as opposed to like Prince the persona? He was really, really, really fun, really cool, um, complete business. Um, and then, okay, I'll tell you the controversy story. The album controversy. We didn't have any controversy. He and I. I. We were in First Avenue, and he came in with with that new album controversy. Walked up to the DJ booth, grabbed the needle, scraped it across whatever song was playing, put on controversy, and walked out of the club. I mean, that's ballsy. You know what I mean? And everybody, you know, go crazy for it. You know? Yeah. And didn't even stick around to see the. To see. Yeah, but I think he probably did. I'm sure he had somebody in there, you know, right. yeah, to see, you know. How, anyway, so um, we were to the point where that where he would say, hey, Billy, hey, Billy, you know, I'm going to see each other, until uh, Purple Rain. And oh, I never told that story. Yeah, that's the best story. So 
when Purple Rain came out, um, about six months later, I went up to see Jesse, and Prince happened to be in the club. So I just walked over to him because he was with uh, Vanity's sister. Vanity was supposed to be in the movie. Right. But then they broke up. Ray broke up. And she became born again Christian. Yeah, she did. She she passed away now. Yeah. 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 But she um, he got Apollonian instead. But at that time, Prince was standing with Vanity's sister, who was a, was a pretty good friend of mine, wow. um, and I'd met her through all them. And uh, I walked up and said hello and and talked to her for a second. And then I said to Prince, Hey, Prince, what's up? Have you seen Jesse? I'm supposed to meet him, and I haven't seen him. And, and he, J Prince looked at his bodyguard and said, Get this fucker away from me. And I was like, What the fuck? I said, It's me. He said, Yeah, I know who you are. Get away from me. So I was like, Oh, fuck. So I walk away. Well, then I hear Morris laughing. And I walk up. I see Morris. I walk up. What the fuck's that about? He goes, He's got $300 million. He don't talk to, he don't talk to you anymore. I was like, Oh, are you shitting me? So now wait. Listen. So it finally goes. It comes all the way around in circles. Um, I'm going to tell this story. I'm going to tell you as quick as I can because it all happened the same weekend. So I'm at Jesse's house, and Jesse, I'm helping Jesse record Shakadelica, which he got Sly Stone to sing on, which is, right. you know, nobody even heard of Sly forever and ever, you know what I mean? But I was doing some stuff with him, helping him with some keyboard parts, and uh, the phone, Jesse says, I'm going to go to the bathroom. He goes to the bathroom, the phone rings. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't remember if it was Ron Wood or Keith Richards at this point. But the phone rang, and I picked it up. English guy. Talk to Jesse. He's taking a shit. Oh, all right, mate. I think it was Ron Wood. Tell him Ron Wood called. All right. So, so Jesse comes out. Who called? I said, Ron Wood. Ron Wood from the Stones? Yeah. What'd you tell him? I told him you were taking a shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, to make, a, to make a longer story short, uh, Prince came over. Jesse said, Prince has come over. I'm like, oh, fucking great. You mean the last time I saw him, he treated me like a, you know. So Prince comes in, sits down. Me and Jesse, I, I'm hey, Prince. Hey, Billy. You know, so we're talking a little bit. We're going through some songs. I think we're working on a Janet Jackson album because Jesse did the guitar work on it. And then... Uh, we get down, we take a break, and we were sitting back talking, somebody said something, lighten the load, and Prince says, hey man, he smacks me on the leg. That night, I'm like, yeah, he's like, just nods his head at me. Well, then Prince leaves, and Jesse's like, oh, fuck, the sun shines out your ass. I've never seen him apologize to anybody. I'm like, that's his apology? Smack me on the leg and nod his head at me? Jesse's like, that's the closest you're going to get an apology from fucking Prince, let me tell you that. <laughs> but that was the last time I saw him. Last time you saw Prince ever? That was the last time I saw him, yeah. So he, so he never made you pancakes or you never got to play basketball again? No, no, I never did any of that. Yeah. I was at his house once, yeah. But way before it was... Um, the big studio, Paisley Park, yeah. Was, I mean, what was it like, you know, when he was just like, I mean, he was a people. He was a star. People knew him, but he wasn't massive. And you and I both known people that have had like one or two albums, right. and they might have had a hit, and then they don't anymore. And then right. like ten years later, they're playing at like the fair or some shit, you know? Yeah. And so it's very different to be the guy who has one hit and you know has a couple albums and to, and fades away, which is more likely the story that happens and or to be the guy like Prince who has like first couple albums yeah 
they do okay. And then all of a sudden, like the fourth album, 1999, huge. And then the fifth album, Purple Rain, is just stratospheric, right. you know? Right. Um, well, I, believe it or not, I, I knew it. I, knew, I mean, you may, that may sound crazy, but I knew. Yeah, you know I mean, just being around him, I knew that there's something about this guy. You know, Elton John, he, you know, he went to a Elton John's after Grammy party and played one song and left. And somebody said to Elton John, E! News or somebody, I don't know, said, were you mad that Prince showed up and left? And Elton John said, I mean, you can probably look it up. Elton John said, let me get this straight. The best musician in the world stopped by my party and played a song and you want me to be mad about that. If Elton John calls you the best musician in the world, holy fuck. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, but, I, I mean, I knew it, but that's not who, that's not who those guys were. They were just a bunch of, um, uh, what do you want? No, I'm fine, honey. Uh... They were friends. They were creating music together. They weren't stars. I mean, they were rock stars, but not to each other. Right. And I was lucky enough to be in that with them. You know what I mean? Not just the outsider guy. I, you know what I mean? I was, you know, I, I was in there with those guys. So, um, you know, farting on each other and fucking doing what people do. You know, what, you know what I mean? You know, so, yeah, that was pretty cool. So... Move, move it ahead into the 80s at Lynn Allen's you know We Laugh At You comes out does extremely well does it quite like you know go massive or anything like that but still like that was a very successful album overall um, and then continued on to make make some great music during that time period but you always seem to be on the cusp of like and you always had the material but you couldn't get that lucky break that just kind of pushed it over the top tell me a little bit about that era of like being right there right at the edge. That, that's like getting into the NBA. Right. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean, that, you know, that, there's only so many spots. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, believe it or not, I knew... I, I'm, I take this back. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying I take it back. I'm, let me rephrase. I didn't think we were good enough. I didn't think the songs were good enough. Now looking back... That was a hell of a record. Yeah, it was. It really that album is phenomenal. I mean, it really is a cool album. Yeah, that's a neat record. But I just I still felt at that point. In fact, we wrote a song called "Only Strangers," and um, when we Warner Brothers called us up, Warner Brothers London called us up. What what had happened? I'll just do it real quick. What had happened was we put out the album and it sold like crazy, and some. Uh, Xavier Russell was his name. He was uh, his dad did the Frankenstein movies, produced them or directed them or something. And he he wrote for Kerrang magazine. Okay. And somehow he got a copy of it through this guy in Texas. Well, then this guy in Texas like called me up, like ordered like five thousand of them. I'm like, what? You know what I mean? So then we're thinking we're on our way. So that's how that whole connection happened overseas. The guy in Texas sent it overseas. And that started really taking off, you know. I mean, in London and and uh, Japan and other places. You know, I mean, we became this cult, this cult favorite. You know what I mean? So, um, so then Warner Brothers London flew us over, um, and as soon as we got there, they took a pass. 
You know what I mean? And I told our manager at the time, put only strangers on first on this date. And he didn't. He put this song called Can't Stay Away on, which was a good song, but it sounded too much like she's looking at me. So when we finally got to, uh, this is my big knock on fame. When we finally got, not knock, but my big claim to fame, we, we got a meeting with uh, Peter Price at uh, Virgin, Virgin Records. And the songs were in the wrong order, but when, when Strangers came on, he said, who produced this? And I said, I did. And he said, and this is where I made my big mistake. He said, I've got a job for, here, for you here producing if you want to produce. He was working with Madonna. And I and I and I'm not saying I would have been Madonna's producer. I'm just saying that's what they were work. That's what they were working with at the time. And if I'd have been smart enough to go to hell with this fame and to hell with this stuff, because I could have always been went back to being, you know, what I mean, got my foot in the door and maybe record, maybe done something really, really, really cool. I think I did some cool stuff, but that would have been really, really cool. I mean, at 23 to 22 to move to London and be, you know produce, you know. And that you know, I, I was sitting there with Peter Price, and across the room was uh, uh, Ian uh, Anderson from Jethro yeah. Tull. Oh, yeah. yeah, you know, I, I was just like, "This is the fuck! What the hell? This is you know." Uh -huh. you, once you get through all that, you start thinking, "I belong here," uh -huh. right? But like you said, right on the cusp. Right. I don't belong there. Yeah, you know I mean, I just got to ride with you guys for a little bit. You know. Yeah. Even so, looking back, I mean, those are some good records. I mean, yeah, they, yeah, we, yeah. I, I accomplished some nice stuff. Yeah, I wrote some good songs. So, the, so then we get to the '90s, and obviously, like, um, still making some good stuff. I remember that was when I first moved out here. I moved out here in the mid '90s, and I remember one of the first things that I covered was <laughs> the release of Petrified Ice Cream. And which was a which is a fun album, right? You know, there's some good stuff on there too. Yeah, that, that was a weird time musically, though. Right. Yeah, we were a little bit lost on that. Murph came up with the riff for "I Am," and that really kind of set the tone for the record. And then you guys mentioned earlier. I don't know if we got on here or not. Uh, you were talking to Colin about um, "Where Are You Now." Yeah, yeah, I love that song. Yeah, Murph and I got the idea from that song from Andy Taylor. From uh, Duran Duran, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. He had a song called I can't remember the name of it now. I'll think of it as we go. Was it take it easy. No, okay. it was a song. It was like uh, the only hit he had was take it easy. Uh, what can I do that's not wrong? When we're in our world, turn around, stand, stand by me. So, don't ever let me go or something. Uh -huh. But that's where we got the idea. Uh, what can I do that's not wrong? One minute you're here and you're gone. I just thought that was so cool, so I just took that. You know, because believe it or not, people, artists steal from each other all day long. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, that's what we do. Good artists borrow, great artists steal. What's that again? Good, that? Good, good artists borrow, great artists steal. Yeah, well, yeah, I stole that line. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I changed the words, but I stole that melody line because that was just so cool. Yeah, I remember I was recently watching a documentary. I went down this rabbit hole on um, Echo and the Bunnymen and the Smiths oh, and all yeah, these other. Yeah, right, yeah. And they were talking about how much Morrissey stole from other other artists. So he stole from like, you know, old poets. He stole from Holy different, shit. you know, riffs. Johnny Marr yeah. stole like from Bo Diddley. Like the whole How Soon Is Now was stolen from Rumble, but Bo Diddley. And they just ran it through different, you know, uh, flanges and stuff like that, that to make that sound. 
So, I have to go back now because you were talking about being on the cusp. And I told you the biggest mistake I make, I didn't make this mistake, but it was just fate. And what had happened was, Jesse had been doing songs for movies, soundtracks, and John Hughes loved him. Right. Loved his music. Well... I played a song for Jesse one night over the phone, and he said, get up here right now. I'm going to put that in a movie. All right, so are you shitting me? This is a really cool song. Um, it, it features a saxophone on it. I wish I still had it. I don't even have it anymore. Um, but it was about it was about the like the collapse of of, you know, of uh, uh, like a caterpillar and all the stuff that left here. And I wrote this song. Well, I went up to Jesse's, took the two-inch tape up there. We put it on. We started working on it. And he got a phone call, and what had happened is he was leaving for, on tour the next week. His band had to go to his management office in Minneapolis and sign some documents, and they saw the concert legend and what he was going to make for each show and quit. That song was going to go into planes, trains, and automobiles. Oh, man. Yeah. That's the movie that was going to go into. So, I mean, I was that. I mean, that's a major, major motion picture. Right. That would have been a huge, huge break for us. Yeah. But it didn't happen because his band all quit and the tour got canceled and he was done right then and there. He, you know, I mean, I, I just went straight to the airport, got on a plane and flew home. Yeah. 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 It's weird because, like, I, I grew up in Chicago and so I, like, know a lot of people. You know a lot of, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, my sister dated a guy who was in a band that used to open for Smashing Pumpkins all the time. So I, and I, I was in a band at one point with Jimmy Chamberlain, who was the drummer from Smashing Pumpkins. And so we all knew, like, a lot of the Chicago scene players and stuff like that. And so, like, it's weird because it isn't always the most talented. Sometimes it is, like with Prince, amazingly talented. But it's not always the most talented person who ends up becoming huge. And sometimes it's not even the best song. You know I mean? There are a lot of great songs and there are a lot of great bands, like, in Chicago in that late 80s, early 90s scene that were a lot better than some of the stuff that ended up becoming more prominent. Right. Well, and so it's, it's the same thing. Like, I I said, I remember, like, some of my friends, you know, sending them some of your stuff, some of the Lynn Allen stuff. I'm like, oh, listen to this. This is actually, like, you know, this is like the stuff we remember, you know, listening to growing up, like, in the 80s and stuff. And they really dug it. And they're like, oh, yeah, whatever happened? Is, it, is this, like, a big hit or something like that? I'm like, no, no, it never really, like, charted or anything else. And it's so weird because it, it's right there. You can see... You can see that that's, those songs could have been hits. I mean, they're good enough to have been hits, but just for whatever reason, they just this. didn't really, you yeah. know, click. Let me ask you this. Just luck. Why, did, why didn't um, Someday by Mars Electric become a big hit? Oh, that song was fantastic. Yeah. That whole album. That's why didn't The Marvelous Three become one of the biggest bands in the world? Right. Butch Walker and The Mar- Marvelous Three, hey, album, one of the best albums, power, power pop albums I've heard over the last, like, ever. couple yeah. de- ever. Right, right. Fantastic. Fantastic album, front to back. Never became like you know huge. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, enough's enough. Now they had a cup. They had two. But if you listen to Strength, Baby Loves You, that should have been a huge hit. Right. Uh, and, if, and here's the other thing too. Cheap Trick. Their Cheap first, Trick. Their first single was uh, 
Candy. Um, you know, you know. I'm sorry, maybe you probably don't know it, but that, but that's a, oh, uh, oh, candy. That's a, that's a fucking pop hit. Right. That's pop genius. Right. And nobody ever heard of the fucking thing. Right. So who knows? I don't know how that shit works. It is. It's weird. Like, yeah. so, there's so many great songs and great artists that, like, you know, right. never. Well, I mean, locally, Einstein's sister that learned the Learning Curves yeah. album is yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. Like, and that you know, it had some success. Right. But it should have been so much bigger. Right. Um, Trip Master Monkey, same thing. Clothes. I thought I always thought Shutter's 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 I always thought Shutter's Clothes was a great, so great pop, I, yeah. great pop song. I always thought that was great. And there were there was a song in the the um, the next practice, practice changes album, Colts. I remember yeah. hearing Jamie Toll played that for me before when he was he just played a couple of demos, and I, immediately Colts, I was like, holy shit, that's gonna be your big hit. Yeah. That's gonna that's gonna be a hit. That, that you know, that yeah. it, it, it could have been because it's a terrific song. Yeah, you just don't know, I guess. You know, what I mean, I don't know. I don't. And they were on Electra for Christ's sake. Right, I don't know. Yeah, you know, like I said, I, I don't really. At at twenty eight, I would have loved to have been a rock star. At sixty, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, when you get sixty years old, you start thinking about you know you got about ten, maybe twenty years at the last, at the most. So you know you start thinking about more important things than you know. I mean, how many girls could I? And first of all, that's the ma- the major thing. All you young rockers out there, the biggest lesson I can teach you. And this comes from experience. You know, it used to be oh, you know, make sure you got something to fall back on this and that. The biggest thing you can tell somebody young is you can't fuck them all. Yeah. You know I mean, you can't. Fu- I love that. Right. One of McLean's favorite yeah, you, you ever said. Oh, a, a buddy of me and Billy's that passed away. It was one of his favorite things that Billy ever said. Was he, he used to go, "You can't fuck them all, man." Yeah. <laughs> you can't fuck them all. So, so you really get into your craft and not worry about the rock star part of it. You know what I mean? Because that'll ruin you. So looking back on it, like, when did you start to gain that perspective? When did you start to like? Start to look at things a different way. Uh, probably when I moved back from San Francisco. Mm-hmm. When I, I didn't even talk about that. I'll just do it real quick. When, uh, yeah, we kind of glossed over it because we got right. to the Prince stuff, which was hilarious. Right. And that, so, so let's go go back, rewind a little bit to the San Francisco days. Okay, well that was that happened because Eddie Van Halen and Sammy were both going to put a band together. Um, and see, uh, it wasn't like a, a trading places bet. It was just something that they were going to do. They, like Eddie was going to, and, and anyway, Sammy's band was going to feature uh, Jeff Watson from Night Ranger. And I had a friend who knew Jeff real well, was his guitar tech. They were looking for a singer. They contacted me. I impressed them because they sent me the songs. I recorded them the next day and had them back to them within, what, 36 hours. So they were like, this is the guy. You know what I mean? Anybody that is going to write lyrics that fast, come up with melody lines, this is the guy we want. In the meantime, they they bought me a plane ticket, and while I'm flying out there, Sammy Hager found this other singer that they really like. And so when I got out there, they gave me the bad news I wasn't in. However, the guy... The guy was supposed to be in a band with Steve Smith and Ross Valerie from Journey. Yeah. So they gave him my tapes and they said we'd rather have him than you anyway. So it worked out po- perfectly. So I went to that band instead. Now what band was that? And what and what time period was this? Ninety. Ninety. Okay. About about nineteen ninety. Yeah. 
So um, I did that for a while with those guys. I was with this. They had this German guitar player, and like they wouldn't come to rehearsal. And then when they did come to rehearsal, they'd show up in a BMW and a Porsche, and we're in there starving. And finally, I'm like, I'm going home. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going home. But I did remain uh, friends with all those guys. That, you know what I mean? So you know, and Jeff Watson and I are still de dear friends to this day. So anyway, that was the '90s. <laughs> so. So that's when, when you came home from San Francisco, that's when you kind of started, your paradigm started to shift. That's when I wrote Surprise, Surprise. And that's when, right, and that's when, that, that's really when Lynn Allen started becoming Lynn Allen. Compton was gone. It was up to me. Murph is a phenomenal, Terry Murphy is a phenomenal guitar player and a fucking brilliant. Like if I play a chord and he plays a counter chord, he's just brilliant at, at filling my shit up. You know what I mean? And making my stuff work. So when we wrote that Pink album, uh, that I, I was really proud of that record. That record came out really, really, really That was what, 93, 94? Probably, probably, I think I came back in 92 or 93. Probably somewhere around in there. Because Petrified Ice Cream was like 95, 95 or 96, yeah. Yeah, because that was that was right after I moved out here. Because yeah. I remember like one of the the two first shows I saw, I think when I came out here, I saw Tripmaster Monkey and Douglas and Tucker over at Stickman's. I saw Bad Examples at Ripka. Remember they used to oh, play God, there all the time, yeah, Ralph yeah, Covert. Yeah. Um, I saw you at uh, the old uh, Chantilly Lace. Well, that had to be a good And you were like cussing out the crowd. Yeah, and I remember that was funny as hell. <laughs> Yeah, I remember writing about it, and I was like, you know, I loved it. Because yeah. you're out there like, hey, you fuckers, get yeah. down here and well, fucking dance. I want to see this band, and they had a, they had a game show host as a singer. Well, <laughs> well it's funny, because, like, you guys were the, you know, three of the, you know, Bad Examples wasn't from here. They're from Chicago. And I, I knew Ralph from up in Chicago, That's a, and so I came down to see him. I love that. What's that song they wrote about his friend who passed away? Uh, Adam's song. Oh, my God. Adam McCarthy. What a beautiful song. Yeah, it is. Just, a, I mean, to this day, if I hear that it just I mean I'll just cry what a beautiful beautiful written song yeah they did I mean Bad is Beautiful and yeah, Shades yeah. of oh, you know yeah, yeah. all it, they had so many great my, yeah. songs did they even release Adam McCarthy yeah they did did they because yeah, I, I think that was recorded actually, wasn't that yeah. recorded on a radio show or something yeah uh, yeah what a beautiful and they eventually song. recorded it in a studio and so oh did they okay yeah, and then he did Ralph's World which is the children's show yeah so yeah really 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 nice guy yeah. really nice yeah, guy yeah great band talented people yes yeah. Bro, I think they got a, they had a song on a Sticks album too. Uh, I don't remember what it was. Yeah, it I don't remember what it was, but I think yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. So so that were in the '90s. Gets into the 2000s. I remember the late '90s. You did. You said you were going to retire. You said that that was yeah, it. That was yeah, that. Let Allen and we we're done with Let Allen. And that's funny because I called you up. Yeah, you did. Yeah. And like, I'm going to give you the exclusive, Sean. Right. And this is it. We took pictures on the Argus roof. Yes. Of that. And and, the and roof, roof of the Argus building. Yeah. Right. Wow. That, I just wanted to say that's cool. I yeah. <laughs> it was like the city, the whole city, the Quad Cities in the background. Yeah. And it was a really cool picture. And it, you know, we were gonna, we we were done. We were we were done with it. We were tired of, of the small crowds and no one showing up. And that fuck 
fucking article, put us back up on top again, and people started coming out. So now we were, we were dealing with fucking four or five hundred people to show again, thinking that we were quitting, which we were, but we're like, well, fuck, if you're going to keep going, we're going to keep going. So, and things were going well. At that point, like in the late 90s, because I think you had so many bands that were huge at that point. The, the Quad Cities music scene was very different. You had the Metro Lights, right. who were huge. Right. And everybody sounded different. There wasn't like a Quad City sound. There was right. you guys who were you had kind of the power pop thing. And then the Metro Lights were this weird klezmer right. punk yeah. band. Yeah. Then you had Tripmaster, who were Kabbalas. more like alternative rock. The yeah, the Kabbalas, yeah. Right. yeah. The Kabbalas. Right. Um, you had Einstein's sister, who were like, you know, Beatles, power pop and stuff. Tripmaster. Right. And then you had like Spatterdash and Love Dogs, who were right. like kind of like a power punk, like the power, you know, pop punk type of thing. And like into the early 2000s, there was a lot of, lot of local music, and bands were drawing. I mean, they were drawing really you know, well. Yeah, you know what happened? Uh, and, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm giving kudos to somebody, but I'm not doing it because I, I feel like I have to. I'm doing it because I have to. And that was Frank at River City Sound. Because and here's what happened: when we came and did that that story with you about the band breaking up, about that time Frank needed help down at River City Sound. And, and we'd worked together for 20-some years. And he called me up. He said, can you come help me out while I'm out of town? Well, at that point, see, I rented all my gear from him. When I started working for him, he said, you don't have to pay rent. So instead of making $100 a week, I started making $300 a week. And that's not very much money, but to me, that was like... But back in the early 2000s, that wasn't bad. Right. I started actually making a paycheck. So I was able to continue on. Without Frank Holst, Lynn Allen would have probably folded when we did that. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a true story. I'm not just doing it because I love him. And, yeah, I mean, I, it, that's the truth. Fr- River City Sound saved Lynn Allen. Well, and Ellis Kell was a big influence because Ellis was working in the dispatch at oh, me, at, with me at the time. And, and he and I and, like, the folks at Quad City or QC Online at the time, we were that was when we we started moving local music online and we were streaming live music on right. the Quad City Jukebox and stuff. And so people were able to listen to it for free and they're like, oh, you know, I kind of like this. Of course, of course, it was on the old AOL like dial-up, oh, so yeah. it would take forever for them yeah. to listen to it. But it was just a very, this is a very different, it's a very different time. Yeah. Um. Time for us. That was it. Was a good time for me. I, I, I look back on that fondly. That was yeah. That was good. I enjoyed it. Well, then you got into Iowa. You started the side project right. and started you know doing that. Um, and then you kind of like have been hit and miss, taking some time off, doing some different things. So let's talk a little bit about that. I didn't record for. What? When, I don't know. When, when, I don't know. Like that. What year did uh, uh, did Horse come out? I think Horse came out in 2007. Did it really? Yeah, so I would say, like, what, six, seven years without Nin- putting anything out? 95, 95 would have been uh, Petrified Ice Cream. And then um, after that would have been uh, Billy Piper in Iowa. And then nothing for, what, ten years? Uh-huh. And then uh, the horse you rode in on. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that, became, that, that came out because... Uh, uh, remember, well, they're still around. Frontiers Records, you know who Frontiers are? Frontiers was uh, partnered up with a uh, record label out of... Uh, that's another thing we don't talk about. All the damn record labels I've been on. I think I've been on six or seven different <laughs> record labels. You know what I mean? But only one in the United States. Right. You know what I mean? Everything else has been uh, London, um, uh, 
Munich, Germany. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, you know, that's a weird thing, you know. I remember, you know, Dwyer and Michaels used to make fun of me because they used to tell me that we sold a lot of records in overseas. Right. Well, you know, they thought that was the funniest thing. Oh, yeah, sure you are, blah, blah, blah. Well, then they had Dark Horse on to interview him one time because he had gone on tour with, um, what was that band from... Fargo. I can't remember the name of that band. I don't want to be rude. But anyway, they said something to him because they'd been over in Europe. He said, well, did you ever hear about Lynn Allen? Oh, they're supposed to be famous. And Dark Horse said, they are very big over there. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> he was like, they were like, what? And he's like, yeah, he's really not lying. Yeah. You know, I remember one time Hal and I went to record record store and I, in uh, Amsterdam and I just went over to see if they had any of my stuff. Hell, I had a bin. Right. A Lynn Allen bin. I'm like, are you shitting me? Uh-huh. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. Because, just because it's, um, it's, uh, uh, um, not redemption, it's, uh, what, help me, what, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, uh, you know, you, you, you put your life. Affirmation. Yeah, affirmation. You, you put your life into something, and it's nice to get, to, you know what I mean? Right. It's not that the, the Quad Cities, you're never famous at home. Well, I think it's, it's interesting because, you know, I'm friends with, um, Scott and Brian, right. Scott Beck and Brian Woods, right. for, who did Quiet Place. Yeah. Now, in, back in the early 2000s, you did the soundtrack for, you helped me do the soundtrack for your favorite band, which was a song that I wrote, or right. a, a show that I wrote and produced, and right, yeah. I did it with Scott and Brian. Right. They did the video segments for it, and you did, like, we used some of the Lynn Allen material and right. stuff like that. Well, you know, back then, like early 2000s, people were like, oh, yeah, you know, whatever, or just another couple of local filmmakers, and then they went on, and, you know, they won the MTV competition, and that didn't go anywhere, and so then people started to doubt them, and then they won this other competition, and people were like, oh, wait for him to become famous, and they didn't. Right. And so people just were like, ah, whatever, who, whatever about those guys, yeah, they're just a couple guys who do local films, stuff like that. Well, you know, 15 years later, a quiet, 15, 20 years later, A Quiet Place comes out, and they've been working since they were teenagers right. on these movies, yeah. and all of a sudden they're a quote-unquote overnight success. Right, but it's they like, were. But right. They were. Yeah, exactly. you know, they, they did you know, dozens and dozens of other short films and feature right, films right. up yeah. to that point to a get lot, to where a, a lot of they did un, that. A lot of uh, unpaid, a lot of hard work um, for for no uh, gratification right. and, and no, notif- you know, no notification. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, so yeah, I completely understand where you're coming from with that. Yeah. Well, and, and and, and as I've always said, it's like success does not equal quality. It doesn't equal merit. It equals, you know, luck sometimes. Right, right. You, you just get lucky. There's a lot of great stuff that didn't become successful. Right. And, I mean, and there's a lot of stuff that, I'll be honest with you, you'll play for me and I'll go, I think that is trash. But somebody loves it. Right. So that doesn't make them wrong. Right. Our art is subjective. Yes. You know what I mean? You know, you may love the Mona Lisa. I may look at it and go, I don't get it. That's uh, just what it is. I, I don't get Jackson and polish, but people do. Yeah, you know I mean, so that's what art is. You know, it's like wine. Yeah. <laughs> Some people like Jackson Pollock. They just like look at every little line and they're like, it means something. Right. And then other people are like, it looks like the guy knocked all of his cans of paint over right. onto his canvas. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's a perfect example, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Of, you know, it's what you see it. Yeah. And I love Jackson Pollock. So like, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, but see what Fucker. I mean. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I don't know. I just saw a thing on it wasn't. They were like, I, I'm like, he's drunker than fuck, and he's throwing paper. They're like, yeah, but he's using ballet steps. And I'm like, oh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, but maybe he was. I don't know. I don't. I don't know how to ballet dance. You know. <laughs> so. 
looking at you know but recently you've done some stuff too i mean since 2015 you got you know you've come out with a new album you came out with you know you've come out with a lot more music and stuff what what, what's that been like has it just been to the point where you've kind of been like you know what i'm just gonna put on music because i enjoy doing it these are the songs that i've written you know this is who i am i'm an artist that's how i i you know i make music the truth is don't look for a new lynn allen record because it's not going to happen but I'm saying a new Len Allen album it's not going to happen a new Len Allen single will happen uh-huh. I will write singles but I'm not writing whole albums anymore it takes too much time away from my family too much time for my wife I mean I don't see my kids anymore they're you know I mean they're teenagers I don't see them you know uh, but it just takes too much time out of your life to do a whole album when really you don't, you know, I mean, the, the, people don't buy albums anymore. It's a totally different era. Yeah, it's not. It's, you're not doing it anymore. I, I was just reading a story. Simon Lebon from Duran Duran was talking about how streaming music is killing is killing new artists and how it's you know it because they don't make any money off of it. Right. And he was talking about the, Duran Duran has a new album coming out, but he said we almost didn't do it as an album. He says I didn't want to do it as an album. The rest of the band wanted to do an album. He said I just want to release singles because that's all anybody that's buys all nowadays. Doing. You know. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. And what I'm really want to do, and this is going to sound like really like I'm just trying to be this greatest guy in the world, but it's, it's not. It's not. I, I'm, I'm trying to work with, with other people, and like when Colin's in town, once he and I start working on something, we, we, we'll see it through. But I really want to work with younger artists and see if I can give, give them a, a, a hand up. Maybe not, I mean, I'm not like anybody really, but at least get them a professional sound and recording, and you know what I mean? Maybe see what they sound like on tape for themselves, and you know, you know what I mean? Just maybe give them some direction and let them run with it, you know? Where are you working? What studio are you working at? I have a studio at home, and it's a badass place. I mean, I, I, yeah, it's badass. It sounds incredible. So um, I'm just now getting to the point where where I'm going to start putting some more. This winter, look for some more stuff this winter. So you're going to be doing more producing and stuff like that? Yeah, well, yeah, and I want to do some more writing, too. You know what I mean? So, yeah, um, you know, it's hard to find. Let me be honest with you. It's hard to find dedicated people that want to play with you. One person I want to work with, again, is Randy Klepstein, because we did the KPS thing. He and I. And and, uh, and uh, Kevin Sampson, that's a fucking, that's a monster EP. It didn't do shit overseas. I thought it would, but it didn't do, it didn't do well over there at all. But I still want to work with him again. He's got a lot of good ideas, and we work well together. So. How do you feel about the upcoming show? So now we've kind of like gotten all the way yeah, into the present. Right, now we're here. Okay. we're here. We are, and here we are back at Kavanaugh's. Coming up August 26th, so you got a show here 28th. at Kavanaugh. 28th. We, we, you and I both keep on saying the 26th. No, no, that's all right. You keep on putting my head. You got the ear worm. One, you know, of Billy. one of those days. Yeah. It's the 28th. It's the 28th. Which is what? Is that a Saturday? I believe so. I think it's a Saturday. Yeah. Colin, can you help us? Is that a Saturday? Yes, it is. I, I don't know what time we're playing, but I'll I'll be there. Five o'clock. Five o'clock. Okay. But yeah, I think it's a Saturday. I'm gonna be a half hour late, so we're playing at four thirty, Colin. <laughs> They've actually done that in real life to me. <laughs> Seriously, no jokes, kid. You better lie to him if you want him to be there. So you're gonna be playing at five o'clock, four thirty to you, Colin. Right. And uh, Saturday, the twenty eighth, here at Cabinet. In yeah, Rock Island, yeah. is it going to be an outdoor show? Outdoor show, yeah. Nice. I, I, from what I understand, it's going to be a nice, big, large production, big PA, nice stage. Um, 
It's the St. Patty's Day thing. People, I think it's the funniest thing. I, it is too. Yeah. I just love that. that. You know, I mean, I love. First of all, let me just say this while we're talking. I absolutely adore the Quad Cities. I love it here. This is the best fucking place to live. Yeah. The best fucking people. It's the perfect size city, and we have a sense of humor. I, I agree with you. It, 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 people for the longest time were like, "Oh, you grew up in Chicago, and your dad lives in New York, and you like, you know, been out to Los Angeles and stuff like that." Like, why do you like living in the Quad Cities? I'm like, "Have you ever been to Chicago, right. New York, <laughs> right. and L.A.? Like, really, for extended yeah. periods of time? Yeah. And it just, takes yeah. fucking forever to get anywhere in L.A. Yeah. New York costs like an arm and a leg, dollars, and right. you know, in Chicago, it's like an arm and half the leg. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so the Quad Cities, you can get anywhere you want to be. It's not. I, I could never live out like the sticks or something because right. I drive me nuts. Yeah. But the Quad Cities is a nice mid-range it's market. Perfect. It's perfect. perfect. It's it's like the Goldilocks principle. Yeah. It's not too big. It's not too small. It's just right. Yeah, and, and on top of that, it's big enough and small enough that if one of us gets in trouble, you'll get a lot of people there to help. You know what I mean? If you right. find a family that's, you know what I mean, you know, it's a tragedy, you know, we can raise a large amount of money fast for somebody who's in trouble because right. people fucking care. Yes. You know what I mean? It's not... It's it's not too big that people don't care. Right. Yeah, and that's enough mushy shit, but I do love it here. I really do. You and I both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've been here long enough to, like, yeah. get a bad that Yeah, I love it. So you're gonna. So obviously you're gonna be looking forward to seeing some familiar faces at the show on the 28th, Billy. Yes. The 28th. At 4:30. At 4:30 for you, Colin. <laughs> yes. Here at Kavanaugh's in in Rock Island, across from Augustana, Kenny Corner from Augie, So. Hey, thank you so much uh, for letting me waste your time tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it's. A, I, I. You know. I've been. Wanting to have you on the podcast for such a long time. Because yeah, I mean, you and I have had so many long right, conversations. Right, yeah. Like last time I think we like had a conversation for several hours was at Steve's old time tap. Remember there was a fight going on and there were like two girls who were fighting out in the parking lot or something. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I you played that, that night I and did, I came yeah. down there to see you play and then we were like, oh, let's have a couple beers. And so we hung out. And then there was like a fight going on and there were like two girls fighting out or two. Yeah, like I, out in the parking lot. I did that again about uh, about a month ago. I just went down there, which is uncharacteristic of me. I took an acoustic guitar down there and played a set. That's the first time I'd played in a year and a half. I know it's it's weird. Yeah, it's it was strange. Like I was saying that to somebody the other day. Like when I was interviewing them, it's just weird to be out and pl- it feels normal again. Mm-hmm. Like after a year and a half of not being able to do this, right? Crazy. It, it, it's it is. It's it, just it crazy. Was, it was cra- it was just crazy, especially like you know us being musicians. There was it was yeah. done. Yeah, and it was uh, the entire well really the world, but the entire United States. Because yeah. I moved to Florida last year, and it was the, when I got. There it was the same thing. Yeah, there was, there was no live music. Everything yeah, yeah, was shut down. And as a musician, it really you really realize how much you love it and miss it when it's not yeah. there. So it was nice. To, it somewhat feels back to normal again. But I will say, I feel like, and hopefully I'm wrong. I might be a little too optimistic, but I feel like people have a little more of an appreciation for live music than they did before that happened because they saw what life was like without it. But yeah, I was just saying. I think it's crazy. It feels normal. Though somewhat again, which is great. Yeah, have you guys seen uh, Bo Burnham special Inside? Uh-uh. Oh my God, you got to see it. Is that right? It is genius. I mean, it's so genius. It, it captures the strangeness of the pandemic and the oh, oddity I'm, I'm of like being an I'm artist during the pandemic. That, so yeah. uh, it, it's on Netflix. You got to watch it because it really just he recorded it 
he was just about to go out on tour because he had had panic attacks on stage. And he'd finally overcome his panic attacks and was ready to go out on tour. And, and then, he, then, he, then, then the pandemic hit, and so he was forced to stay home. And so he recorded it all during the time that the pandemic was going on. You touched on something important right there. Um, if you're a person that has panic attacks, I understand. I've had them. I understand when people look at you and they don't get it. People that don't have panic attacks, they don't understand what it is. You're fucking, you're fine. You're not weird. You're not mentally ill. You're not, I mean, me might be a little mentally ill because I got them. I get them too. But, 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 but I'm just saying, you know what? To hell with it. You know what I'm saying? You know, I gave up smoking marijuana because it gave me panic attacks. 40 years later, I started up again because it takes them away. Who the, I don't fucking know. <laughs> but there's, be a, honest, there's a quote of the podcast. Right, but it's the truth. You know what I mean? Hey, fuck it. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to get that on a shirt. Hey, fuck it. Billy Piper. And then on the back, it'll have to say, 40 years ago, I gave up marijuana because it gave me panic attacks. Now I started it up again because it helps them. It gets rid of them. It, it gets joking. rid of them. I swear to God. Why? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm Dude, doubting you. I didn't sleep for 40 years. And now I take a gummy and I, and I go to sleep. And I go to sleep like a fucking normal human being. And I'm not. Wait, 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 real quick. I'm not that guy, the marijuana culture guy. I'm not that hippie guy. First of all, I don't even fucking hair anymore. But if I, you know, but I'm just saying, if you have panic attacks, if, you know, anything in your life, don't be embarrassed by anything because, trust me, somebody just shit their pants somewhere. I've done it a few times. I've done it a few times. So when you go, oh, they're going to know I have panic attacks. Well, somebody just shit their fucking britches over there. So, you know, I mean. Everybody's got strange things exactly. about them. Well, I think that's one of the things that's, in the last decade or so, that's become more the norm, where people realize, like, everybody's yeah. kind of strange. Yeah, just accept it. Yeah. yeah. Right. And people have come to embrace it more. Yes. And I think maybe that's one of the good things about the internet and social media is that one people the, have shared the, the fact that, like, one of the, one of the very, very few, few things. things. Yes. Right. Other, yeah, other than the rampant Narcissism and phoniness, and <laughs> right, right. people posting seven, and then numerous couples that post about hashtag blessed when they're cheating on each other, and all the other shit that goes on. But you know, uh, but, uh, that's me. Yeah. I do that. Sorry, honey. <laughs> but but uh, one of the one of the thing, one of the good things that has come out of it is I think people have. Learn more that Maybe like oh wow there are more strange yeah, people right. out there like me than there were I thought there were. Do you think it's because I, I think it's because of this? Because if somebody has enough guts to say, oh man I deal with depression I deal with yeah. panic attack I don't deal with depression. But like Jimmy Van Hefty was here talking with us he doesn't hide it to anybody he puts it right out there. Right. And I think when somebody else that deals with it sees it they go you mean it's not that big of a deal everybody right. knows yeah, yes it's that's great. it's okay right yeah it's okay just be you and do what you got to do yeah right. Important. Yeah, I, I agree. I yeah. agree. I Way more important than anybody's music career. You know what I mean? Way more important than anybody's career. Or, yeah. Well, they're both meant to like. It's everybody wants to communicate and connect with other people when it comes down to it. Right. And music is the way to do that. And at one point there was more of a distance to communicating with other people, where you'd have to like put on a mask and like I'm going to communicate with people and connect with the world right. through this music or this story or right. this whatever. And now I think the the mask in some ways for some acts for some artists at least has been removed and it's, it's like removed. the way I'm going to the way I'm going to communicate.
communicate and connect with people is by showing them how fucked up I am and people can relate because they're like, yeah, you know what? I'm just as fucked up as you are. Yeah, exactly. Which is a good thing. <laughs> it is a good thing. To you know, strip away the pretense of that and allow people to know that like everybody's a human being and everybody, you know, has their own ups and downs. Right. Just remember, you can't fuck them all. And we'll end on that, Billy. You said, I know, you said ups and downs. I and did, I, I said no. I, I, and I said just We've been doing this for a long yeah, time. Yeah, we can't yeah. fuck them all. Yeah, right, there you go. Colin, any last words? I just wanted to say real quick one thing about Lynn Allen. Um that I think is quite amazing is Lynn Allen has kind of become like it's like a Quad City Americana. It's very, it's as Quad Cities as Whitey's or Harris Pizza, and it means a lot. It means a lot. It means a lot to a lot of people. To a lot of people, and I just it's an honor to be playing with Billy in the band again and doing this kind of show. And I just think that people are going to be listening to Lynn Allen 50, 60 years from now. I really mean that. Thank you, Colin, and thank thank you, Sean. Thank you very much. It's been a great conversation, Colin, Billy, from Lynn Allen. Of course, Billy Piper, ladies and gentlemen. Well, we'll see Lynn Allen. Colin, it's going to be 4.30 for you. Billy, it's going to be 5 o'clock for you. Uh, Saturday, August 25th, here at the lovely... The 28th. God damn it. You screwed me up again. The 20th. I said the 25th that time. Well, no, we are at a bar, and we are drinking, so... I'm going to be there at... 26 to 4.30. And there'll be no band here. At at least you'll be a couple days early. (laughs) Bring bring one of Prince's tents. Right? (laughs) Thank you, Sean. So it's 5 o'clock Saturday, August 28th. Correct. That's when the show is. Here at Kavanaugh's in Rock Island. Wait a minute, though. The show starts way before that. No, I, no, I'm being, being honest. Not just for Colin. Yeah, because Phil's in the <laughs> because Phil's in the Sharks are playing before us, and then there's uh, uh, there's an act before them, and then there's an act after us too. So I think it's Danger Zone. Is that right? I don't want to get. The, would you sure. cut that off if I'm wrong? No, no, no. We're, I'll, I'll make sure. We're going to do a story on the whole I, show. I know, but I, I don't want to be wrong. You know what I'm saying? I don't, okay. Okay. We'll make sure that we put the right bands okay. in. Yeah, they I, won't I, be right this t- podcast, okay. Billy. But you know. I just, I want to Phyllis and the Sharks in Danger Zone are both two good bands, so if they are playing, they are they playing. Are playing I, I'm, I'm, almost positive I'm almost well. positive it's Danger Zone. I, I've only seen uh, I've only seen the times, and I haven't seen who's playing. So, but well, you I, should watch. You should go to QuadCities.com, Billy, if you want accurate I will, information I will, about I will, the local. Wait a minute, accurate? You can't get the fucking date right. <laughs> <laughs> Other other than that. Thank you, brother. Thank (laughs) you, you, my friend. And thank you for listening to QC Uncut, Uncut, Unedited, as you can hear, Unedited, Uncensored uh, Conversation with Local Newsmakers. Um, My guests today, of course, have been Billy and Colin from Lynn Allen. Check out Lynn Allen once again. 5 o'clock, Saturday, August 28th, here at Kavanaugh's in Rock Island. And there are other bands that are on the bill as well. So we'll have a story on quadcities.com that you can check out about that. Thanks a lot for listening in. I'm Sean Leary. Hope you have a great day.